Welcome to episode 71 of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Coming to you practically, almost, kind of, live from high atop the Mellow Mushroom here in downtown metropolitan Franklin, Tennessee. Sort of like most Christians there. Kind of, <laughs> almost, sort of alive. <laughs> and uh, joining us live via satellite from the left coast, the man who just woke up, Aaron Porter. Thanks for chiming in there. Yeah. I'm your host, Nate Larkin, here with our fearless, peerless engineer, Mondo Grimes. Oh, yeah. And uh, have, you, have you recovered your land legs yet, Mondo? It took me about uh, a day and a half or so. Yeah. Um, I was eating uh, after the first trip, the first day. I went, a fishing trip for those who didn't. For those who, who yeah, didn't, don't know. Didn't catch the last podcast. Yeah. Went down day. to Grand Isle, Louisiana, mm-hmm. and uh, did a fishing trip, man. After the first day, you know, on the water, it was perfectly fine. I don't get seasick, so I'm pretty good there. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I started eating what we caught. Oh. We grilled the, uh, the, the, the bull redfish. That we call about 32 pounder. Tell me about this redfish, man. That's well, a that's a big redfish. Yeah, 32 pounder is a pretty big one. Most of them are like low 20s. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And uh, this thing was fighting. I mm-hmm. mean, it whooped me for about 25 minutes. And uh, finally pulled it in, and I was done for about an hour. I was, I, you know, we got other bites. Yeah. I was like, other guys, you guys go get it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. Because it, 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 really your back, man. I mean, your back and also, too, where the belt is. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're pulling. Your, your buys are killing you. And it's surprising, man. It's, it, when, when that thing takes off the other way, uh-huh. then you really realize that you're up against one of God's creations, uh-huh. much uh-huh. stronger than you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you guys are connected with, by a hook. <laughs> <laughs> and you are not his friend. <laughs> yeah, we are not friends right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your manhood kicks in, man. Your manhood kicks in. Oh, wow. It's not like catching a little smallmouth bass or a bluegill or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's pretty serious, man. So we, we caught, the uh, first day, six bull reds. Oh. Uh, we we well, I'm sorry. We kept six. We yeah. caught twenty seven. Wow. wow! In a matter of five and a half hours. Wow! We were getting hit left and right, man. Uh, caught quite a few stingrays, and ah. my my wonderful father happened to pull one in the boat, <laughs> and everybody wow. freaked out. Yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> the stingers just flying around. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and of course my dad's oblivious. I'm like, dude. That, that's what killed the croc- crocodile. Yeah. That's, why, that's the first thing I told him. <laughs> exactly. So that's how the crocodile hunter died. Yeah. And he was like, he was like, oh my god, I didn't know. And the, the captain was like, don't ever do that again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was it was pretty free because we had to figure out how to get the thing out now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. without getting hit by the tail. So. Yeah. But uh, it it was cool, man. We we went out uh, the first day about uh, eight miles, mm. and then out, to, out by oil rig. Uh-huh. So it's, it's oil refineries and oil rigs everywhere out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the next day we went out uh, a little over 25 miles. Wow. And we tried to go out like 50 to 75, but it was too Too rough, choppy. Way, there was a big rough. depression that came through. Yeah, there. yeah, we felt it. Yeah, we, we definitely felt uh-huh. it. Almost tossed it up a few times when we got out there. It was just... Yeah, I mean, the captain was not there. Yeah, the captain was like, you know, let's go back. You know, this is too rough. So, But it was awesome, man. It was really, Wait. really cool. How are you aware that there's a great depression out in the ocean past 25 miles? Mean, what kind of news do you watch, Nate? <laughs> Oh, that's, that's just weird that you would know that. No, it's actually, if you know my life, it's not at all weird. Uh, yeah, in real life, I, I, I'm a partner in an engineering firm, and all the work is in Florida. And uh, we love hurricanes in our business because hurricanes create work. I pray for hurricanes. Mm. That that right. is sick. I, yeah. that's we, we just we just lost our whole Louisiana audience right there. They're, they're all off. they're no. all just hanging up. What no, I don't want them to go to Louisiana. I want them to go to South Florida. All right, Louisiana's back. That's right. <laughs> hey, what port? What port did you go out of? Uh, we went to see. Okay, Grand Isle. We went to Starfish. Mm. Starfish Harbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's another one called Sand Dollar mm. Harbor. Okay. And it's it's right off of Louisiana Highway 1. It's yeah. called Highway 1 because there's only one highway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One main road. Uh, but, man, it was crazy. I mean, shrimp boats everywhere. Yeah. Oh, Maybe. baby. So uh, that's uh, that's the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You were at like 70, uh, going at 75 miles into the Gulf of Mexico. Right, yeah. yeah. We we that's, yeah that's we, we went an hour, it's an hour and a half south of New Orleans. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's so something. it's it's out there, bro. That's that, something. Yeah, it's yeah. really it's it's a wonderful trip. And I'm, as I take you, man, it's it's killer. It's really killer. How big a boat? You probably said it already. Uh, we were on a the first day a 27 footer, the mm. second day on a 33 footer. Mm. 
Yeah. Okay. So yeah. it's still enough to get a little rocking going. Yeah, yeah it gets yeah. a little rocking. Yeah, it gets a little rocking. <laughs> it definitely gets rocking. You know, but uh, but it, it was cool, man. Then we did some uh, some bridge fishing at night with night fishing and mm. bridge fishing, just kind of unwind to get ready for the next day. So anything great. better than fresh redfish? Oh, but, man, it's it's killer. Grill baked. You uh, name it. A filet mignon comes to mind. <laughs> 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 I just don't know why, but yeah. <laughs> something about Nebraska cattle. I don't know. <laughs> I think I got to give you that one, Scott. Oh yeah. yeah. yeah what, what you been up to, man? Well, you know, I'm a little groggy this morning. I'm I'm usually an early to bed guy, but I was up late last night at a show. We had friends in town and. Went to hear the Time Jumpers okay. at the Station Inn in downtown Nashville. It's kind of an inside thing. little hint to those of you coming to Nashville. You could pay $30, $40, $50, $60, $75 dollars to go to the big show at the big venue. But if you're here on a Monday night, the place to be is a little concrete block building in the Gulch. Been there since... Mm-hmm. It's been the Station Inn since it's the 70s. 70s, yeah. It's been when Bill long. Monroe opened it. Mm-hmm. Kind of the uh, country... Kind of like the Mother Church of Bluegrass is what it's yeah, mostly known absolutely. as. Yep. But there's a band that's been playing there Monday nights since 1998. They play, they specialize in Western Swing. Uh, but they also do you know, Texas stuff, all kinds of old roots music, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or uh, you know, classic uh, Americana country. Anyway, 11-piece band made up of the top session players mm-hmm. in town. Yep. Um, and the newest member who asked to join the band, and they took a vote, decided <laughs> to let him in, is Vince Gill. Uh, and Ranger and Ranger Doug. Now he's fa- he's famous. Vince yeah. Gill. He's married to Amy Grant. Yeah. That's what, By the way, have name. you heard the new song? <laughs> no. Uh, he's got a new album. comes out today. I heard the song on the radio yesterday that absolutely tore me up. Uh, and Will Owsley was a co-writer. Oh. I found oh, out. Yeah. A song called "Threaten Me with Heaven." Wow. Oh. Uh, you know, and it's it's the voice of a guy who's going to the doctor and he's afraid he's going to get news of a terminal illness. But he says, "What's the worst that they can do? Right. Threaten me with heaven?" Right. Oh, yeah, it's man. Yeah. At any rate, I, great show. Eleven-piece uh, band. Nine of the regular members were there last night. Oh, cool. The the regular steel player wasn't there, so. Uh, the house player for the Opry sat in. Oh, yeah. This, look, yeah. The regular bass player was gone, so the bass player from Toto sat in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I, what a fabulous time. And I was just you know, fortunate enough to know somebody uh, in the band and think ahead and text. Because, you know, the show, forget it. You can't get in. You just yeah. can't get in right. unless you line up four hours early. Yeah. And we had a table down front, and mm. what a fun time. That's cool, man. Yeah. Fantastic. So my job this morning is just to, to repeat back stuff that you say, Nate. You said, if you come to town, make right. sure you go to yeah. right. this place. Yeah. Then you said, and you'll never get in. Yeah. So you, <laughs> you, caught go, you caught that inconsistency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go early. <laughs> Don't, so the show starts at 9 o'clock. <laughs> the doors open at seven, and it's sold out at seven. Yeah. So, so you got to so, be there at like five thirty to get in. I love Aaron, man. <laughs> yeah. She's uh, trying to be right. an active yeah. listener. Hey, that's that's, 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 that's good listening right there. Very yeah. good. <laughs> What's happening with you, man? You're pretty groggy and tired. Is there a reason? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's it's Monday, right? Uh, no, no, no! Dang bro. it! Dang it! Oh. No, I'm. You know what? I'm. I'm kind of. I'm kind of happy right now. I am back in the pub studio this morning, yeah, uh, as cool. you can tell, because you're not watching me from my crotch, as yeah. is the case when I'm stuck in the other room. Yeah. So, the uh, what are they called? The hazmat team came in last week. We were yeah. at a a level four, stage four, something. No, something three. Uh, poop crisis. Yeah, had to throw out all the rugs, and uh, you just, uh, haven't got the bill for that yet. But the studio is back to operational, not rewired, but I plugged in enough to do this this morning. So there you go. I I am excited to be back down here in the cave. You've got some cool guitars over your left shoulder. I can see those on the uh, wall. 
Yeah. yeah, see, I'll give you guys the tour real quick. Yeah. So the stage area. Okay. Nice. This is for the benefit of our listening audience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's the beauty, Scott. That's my. That's the '59 Guild Arch top. That's that's last year that they were in Hoboken with the the finishers there. And yeah. then that's the uh, there's the audience area. Beautiful. You get yeah. the view. Oh yeah. yeah. Very yeah. nice. All right. Very nice. So we're back to uh, back to operational. Good man. Very good. So, but actually, it was—it's uh, been a good week. Even the sewage spill down here, we had nowhere to rehearse as a band, so we just went to a uh, local brewery and took whatever instruments we could carry, and ended up uh, playing between other people's sets, being like the house band last week, and nice. it was one of the one yeah. of the most fantastic gigs I have played in the last ten years. It was so oh, fun. Good man. So, sewage spills can be a blessing in disguise. <laughs> And it's my job just to repeat back things that you say this morning. <laughs> well, it was encouraging to hear that it was a sewage spill because I was really, really curious about how the accident happened. You know, who was responsible? Like that was helpful. Yeah. And by the way, those of you listening in, you say, "Who is that guy? I, what's that voice?" That's our guest for the week, Scott Rowley. Yes, Scott, thanks for joining us. And uh, <clears throat> well, it is always a pleasure to be with you, Nate, and to meet Aaron, uh, Mondo, uh, the PM Nation. It's great to be a part of the PM Nation, the Pirate Monk Nation. I'm good, man. Yeah, it's great to be here. Oh, fantastic! Well, we'll be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Nation podcast. <laughs> it's time for the mini meeting. Mini meeting. <laughs> yeah, sorry. And it's never that doesn't sound right. It's time for the mini meeting. <laughs> Welcome. We are a company of Christian men, but we're also natural loners who have recognized the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them, natural wanderers who are finding spiritual peace and prosperity at home, natural liars who are now finding freedom in the truth, natural judges who are learning how to judge ourselves aright, natural strongmen who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weakness. As Christians, we meet at other times for worship, for teaching, for corporate prayer, but today we meet to talk. Our purpose is to assist one another in our common journey. We do so by sharing honestly out of our own personal experience and our challenges and encouragements of daily Christian living. We have reached the sharing portion of our meeting. In sharing, we speak honestly out of our own experience and we tell the truth about ourselves, knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and will hold whatever we say in strictest confidence. confidence. Except no, we, we need another. Yeah, we need another word for that. Here. Yeah. <clears throat> in moderate strictest comments. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Our suggested topic for today is. Let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Music, please. Mondo, drum roll, something. That was a good drum roll. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, wow. You know what? I'm. I'm. I'm going with wonder. wonder. Wow. Okay. I wonder why. I wonder yeah, why. Yeah, see, that I instantly went to Wonder Woman myself, and, uh, <laughs> it, and now I'm triggered, so we're going to take a break. We'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. It's good. All I'm right. Get, so get wonder- my invisible jet and go visit that lady. <laughs> I wonder. Wonder. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm Nate. Hey, I guess Nate. I guess I'll jump in. All I'm right. Wonder. Cool. Um, I think 
when you live, as I did for so many years, a sedated life, um, you miss out on wonder. I did. Just kind of slept walked through a couple of decades, uh, medicating all my emotions uh, with lust. That's my, as you guys know, uh, preferred drug. I was medicating fear. If I could just deaden fear and keep all the other emotions alive, that would be wonderful, but uh, it doesn't work that way. All the emotions are pretty much wound together like a braided cable, and you kill one, you kill them all. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I didn't feel... I, I just went numb. And so I missed, uh, for example, much of the wonder of being a father of an infant. Hmm. I missed. Yeah. I'm getting to taste it now that I'm a grandfather and uh, and I'm alive again. And I just love playing with my grandkids. But every now and again I feel this twinge of regret that um, I don't recall this much engagement, this much enjoyment, uh, and this much just awe at the marvel of it all from the years when I was a father. And that's a, you know, that's that's a shame to me. Um, I do remember it's crazy. Every now and then during those years, every couple of years it seemed like, uh, it's like I came up from underwater on some morning, some magic morning. Uh, it often happened when I was out of town uh, with the family. I wasn't. It was tough to act out when I was out of town with the family. Uh, but <clears throat> if I hadn't if I hadn't used in a day or two, and uh, you know, on some crisp morning somewhere, I remember it happening once in Washington D.C. Uh, and it's as though I stepped into the world, and and everything was alive: the trees, the the traffic, the buildings, the air. And I was in it. I was there, and I thought, you know, I just, and I was almost just overcome. I wanted, and I understand that we can't always have those peak experiences, but I do know that that kind of presence in life, and that is possible when we're uh, awake, when we're sober. I uh, I'm so grateful. To me, that's that's um, just one of the great things about recovery is that we regain our capacity for uh, wonder. It isn't as though everything is now just dulled down as it was all those years, just living in kind of semi darkness. And uh, I love to get excited about things. <laughs> to appreciate uh, small beauties and uh, poignant moments. Um, and I want to recapture as much living as I can in the time I have left. Uh, and I think also, I think a capacity for wonder hinges upon humility. I don't. I, I think uh, there's something about addiction and arrogance that go together, and I'm not sure really. I mean, how to articulate that? How it works? I do know that that the journey of recovery is a journey toward humility, uh, becoming a man among men, uh, acknowledging daily a higher power and our absolute dependence upon a higher power, um, and uh, it's it's. It's as though as the more I find my right size, the smaller I become. The bigger God is, the, and the more marvelous and splendid and complex and just overwhelming His creation is, and people are. Um, where when I'm trying to take His place, I think I minimize uh, all that great stuff. Yada 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 yada, just blow right by it, you know. And um, so uh, I still, I think, 
much of the time am uh, too blasé. I wonder, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, we pass miracles, I pass miracles virtually every moment of every day. And it's a gift to be able to recognize them. I'll stop there. Thanks. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. Well, Mondo. Hey, Mondo. Hey, Mondo. Hey, Mondo. Uh, wonder. Um, <clears throat> this past year, uh, I've taken a shift in my thinking and uh, how I approach my life and also how I approach my relationship with God. Um, before, I think I made the mistake of chasing provision, you know, looking for provision. <clears throat> this past year, I've tried something different, and it's I'm just like, God, put me in the right place. Because uh, in the right place, provision is there. Hmm. And at times I've chased provision, sometimes I get around the corner and wonder, is this where you want me, God? Hmm. I thought that was for me. When I come to look, find out, I'm supposed to be around the corner somewhere. Hmm. And so I tried a different approach, and I found that trying to live in this, this area of placement, God put me in the right place, versus God, you know, let me have provision in here, provision here, provision here. It's the difference between worry and wonder. Because mm-hmm. I find myself, before, I find myself worrying, chasing provision, where now I find myself in a place of wonder. Because mm-hmm. there's something that it releases a lot of stress when you we say, God put me in the right place. And you know you're in the right place because God provides that confirmation that you're in the right place. You don't have to look for it. Mm-hmm. It just happens. And it creates this sense of wonder and that sense of fear, that worry is gone. Mm-hmm. And so this past year, it's been phenomenal. I've done some dramatic changes in my life, how I approach uh, my family, how I, how I approach the business. My partner and John are on the same page with this. And and we've seen how just being in the right place now, sometimes being in the right place, immediately you may not see that provision immediately. Mm-hmm. That's that's the thing. you got to stick it out. Mm-hmm. It's... You're in the right place. God, He puts that confirmation in place. It now that placement may not be fun at the time, but then you look a little some time later and look back. It's like, oh man, mm-hmm. I was supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. And I found I found this this past year has been probably one of the most peaceful years mm-hmm. of my life uh, in changing that approach and being in a wondering state of okay God what's next here you put me here I'm wondering what you're going to do mm-hmm. I'm, I'm start oh, girl. okay God alright uh, all right, time's ticking what's going on you know it's that stressful get almost borderline getting mad at God because he's not moving on your watch mm-hmm. and uh, so so for wonder for me is, is kind of almost a state of being for me right now I'm just I'm wondering what God is going to do next mm-hmm. where, with what he gives me what he, where he puts me and the provision just comes. It's it's amazing to watch. Um, it's been like that. Not only my family, I've challenged some of my family members to 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 change their perspective and quit chasing provision. Just just ask the Lord to put you in the right place because provision is coming. Mm-hmm. And stop worrying. Just wonder. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, it's it's remarkable. And I know for me, I've seen uh, <clears throat> an extreme growth in my faith. Uh, the intimacy with my relationship with God has grown tremendously, um, and I found how dependent mm-hmm. I really am. <clears throat> and I agree with you, Nate. What you said there's a certain arrogance that comes with, you know, <laughs> well, hey, you know, uh, with an addiction or mm-hmm. with or with, uh, I can do this on my own. I can figure it out myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a certain humility that comes with staying in a place of wonder and totally relying on God to put you in the right place and putting all the ducks in a row for you and all you got to do is just follow each duck. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very peaceful place to live, man. So uh, wonder is a very good thing for me at this point in my life and, uh, I'll, you know, praying that I continue to stay on that on that path, man. So I'm Mondo. Thanks, Mondo. Thanks, Thanks Mondo. Mondo. <clears throat> well, I'm Aaron. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Aaron. Uh, I've just been thinking a lot about how hard it is to engage my life with Christ in this culture. There's just not there's not as much space that's naturally afforded. Uh, there's so many options to control my own life 
and it's not even called control, and it's all commendable, both inside and outside the church. Uh, it's not cycles based on seasons in an agrarian kind of way, so it's just there are so many things that stifle what I think is supposed to feel like a a daily walking, uh, John 15 abiding. So, yeah, this has been a, a journey the last couple months of trying to regain that, and that has only brought into sharp relief uh, how hard it is in this uh, in this particular area of the world and time and history that that we live in. But I also know that God is is not surprised or daunted by that fact in in my life. Uh, I, I don't think his plan for man walking with him was reserved for other hmm. centuries and other places and other times. Hmm. So it's it's really finding finding that space that starts as a head space and a heart space and then moves into seeing everything differently once I can think of it differently. So really realizing that the the wonder is an inside-out thing as much as the gospel is an inside-out thing, and it's really capturing the gospel in a way that changes everything else in the way I view it. So I've had good weeks and had bad weeks on this journey, but it's nice to have had some good weeks. And I'll tell you, it's a motivating. Having good weeks is very motivating to remember what it's like to actually live. It's easy to forget, especially with four, four smallish kids in the house. Mm-hmm. Well, they cause mm-hmm. a, a lot of forgetfulness of what real life is, mm-hmm. and that doesn't help them when I forget. Mm-hmm. So that's it. That's all I got. Thanks, Thanks Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. I'm Scott. Hey, Scott. Hey, Scott. Um, <clears throat> that's a great word, wonder. And um, it really does drive me to um, a place. I th- immediately thought of the word wonderful, wonderful. And um, maybe the idea that my life is supposed to be um, full of wonder oh. and uh, really how little... Um, Opportunity, I give wonder <clears throat> to sort of take over, mm. and that quality or that—I'm <clears throat> not sure what it would be. Just a—it's a description, um, certainly. And um, I do think that God has this wonder uh, for us and to be experienced. Maybe the Bible talks about the abundant life. Maybe that's a wonderful life. Maybe that's what wonder-filled life is supposed to look like um i know this <clears throat> that even recently my 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 testimony my, my my conversation my journey has been um convoluted and very different <clears throat> it was it was really the same for like 20 years of my life for the first 20 it was really the same then it was the same for the next 20 years of my life and then it's been the same for the for the next 20 years. So if you add all that up, that's 60, mm-hmm. just for those that are slower. <laughs> um, <laughs> me. Uh, huh. All right, so I'm turning 60, and I've just made a change. There, there has been a change that I'm trying to see the wonderful part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the job I've been doing for the last 20 years is now not. I'm not doing it anymore. And the good news is I get to come be a part of the PM Nation and uh, join you on the podcast, the Rebel Podcast. Um, but there is that anxiety that goes with changing. So, um, how is it wonderful, and uh, how is how is abrupt change, or how how is it when it doesn't go the way you planned it? Uh, certainly, either out of my own choices and uh, failure and brokenness, how do I engage that as wonderful? Mm. And uh, that's a that's a journey I think only only God can take you on, and it's really a fulfillment only that God, that that only God can bring is uh, to see the the depth of your sin, your brokenness, you know, the stuff, the failure, the stuff that most people just would say, how can you how can you get up in the morning to see that stuff, 
as a part of the abundant life as much as the success that might come to you. Mm. So that's uh, that's my thoughts. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. And we'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Nation. Foolish and wise, proudly he's tending his nets. Jesus calls, and the boat drifts away. All that he owns, he forgets. But more than the nets, he abandoned that day. He found that his pride was soon fading away. And it's hard to imagine. Back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you and I had a great time a couple weeks ago on that trip out to the wilds of uh, Missouri, to, to, uh, the Lake of the Ozarks. Yeah, that's terrific. Yeah, what a good time. And, uh, you know, we've, we've spent some time over the years here and there. I've always liked you. I've always felt connected with you. But uh, we got a good 20 hours, 22 hours in the car together, as well as that weekend. It was it was fun. We had some stories that we can't we had tell. Some sto- uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I think we can tell the story. I think we can tell the story about the about the highway exit. Uh, and you're talking about the show me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we we brag about being true wanderers who always taste local fare. In other words, we go into a. T- By the way, we had a remarkably lovely lunch in St. Louis. At a classic Irish pub, McGurk's. Oh man, man, what Fantastic, a great, yeah. what a great time! But that would be an example mm-hmm. that you pull off the highway and you find a great local fare. Right? We were talking about Cuisine. this. I don't want to eat at the corporate <clears throat> restaurant. No. If I'm going to travel, I want to eat local, right? So we um, we we found ourselves leaving the exit looking for a restaurant that was well advertised or somewhat advertised called Sh- the Show, Show Me Cafe. Yeah, that's it, the Show Me Cafe. Yeah, and in, we, in Missouri, the Show uh, Me State. Uh, Right? Yeah. Uh-oh. That was a collective sigh from the PM Nation. <laughs> they all no, know where this is going. There's a reason Nate's supposed to take a traveling companion. Exactly. exactly. Well, it worked. Go to the it, Show Me Cafe. Yeah. <laughs> it actually worked. We pull off. We After a couple of bad turns, you know, yeah, yeah. all roads lead to the Show Me, so we got there to yeah, the cafe. Yeah. And it looked, it looked very much like a Wild Wings kind of a place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we walked in. There's, you know, it was a very clean, nice place. There was yeah. a lot of TVs, like a, you know, a sports bar. Yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. Thing. Right, right, right. And, of course, on the way in, I had just kind of nudged an, an elbow towards Nate saying something like, oh, man, I hope this isn't a, like, a topless bar or yeah. something like that. I mean, yeah. just it was like a... My normal sure, <clears throat> assessment, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, right, making yeah. sure. But yeah. So we walk in, and I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. I mean, I suppose technically it wasn't topless. No, no. Oh. But I caught just <laughs> enough of a glance of one hostess as she went by. And it just, oh. To know that she had brown hair, but it was slightly blonde at the ends, and greenish eyes with just, just some flecks of gold and... So it wasn't good. We were hungry, but we looked at each other and just, you know, we kind of did the pivot. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I was so proud. We left. We left quickly. Yeah. And, uh, but that was our, we laughed all the way to St. Louis from there. It was great. Uh, or after St. Louis, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was so slow on the uptake there. But yeah. I, I, you know, when I, it was the show me state, I thought it would be like a diner with flow and, you mm-hmm. know. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, somebody with a beehive. Yeah. Yeah. An apple pie. You know, yeah. this, this is sort of like the story of Joseph running from mm. Potiphar's wife, right. except 
He didn't go into her boudoir, <laughs> now did he? So I'm not sure how it relates. Well, that's why we weren't going to tell the story. <laughs> Man. All right, there you go. There it is. There it is. <clears throat> but it was a great trip. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, I, I loved your share during the mini-meeting. And I, I, I loved the way you kind of segmented your life up to this point mm-hmm. into three parts. The 20, the 20, the 20. Mm-hmm. First 20 years, mostly the same. Second 20 years, mostly yeah, the same. Right. Third 20. So uh, I'd love you to spend a little time yeah. describing each segment. Tell me about the first 20 years. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was, you know... I was born at an early age, <laughs> and uh, no, not to get into all of it, but I uh, grew up in Northern Virginia. My father was a well-connected uh, government lawyer mm-hmm. uh, in the Kennedy administration, so I was born in '52, and we just, you know, spent time uh, in D.C. and uh, my home, my boyhood home, was in Alexandria, Virginia. So wow. I loved Northern Virginia. Mm-hmm. My dad had an office in the Old Town, and he had an office in Commerce. So he really worked for Bobby Kennedy, the Attorney General. So he did. He would argue uh, and prosecute cases on uh, patent infringements, which sounds like a boring, a boring life. But he was an engineer, <clears throat> so I have that in common. My yeah, father was yeah. an engineer. But um, through the course of the first twenty years of my life, my parents uh, divorced very early. Uh, I was four when they divorced, a bit very early in my life. Uh, so staying in Alexandria with my dad, um, he remarried a wonderful woman who was really a savior for me. My father was hard uh, on me. He was a harsh guy. He had diabetes. He was sick most of his life. <clears throat> Pardon me. But uh, the growing up um, was really captured in um, dutiful. Um, you know, I, I, I hate, you know I say this uh, almost tongue in cheek. I am an Eagle Scout because oh. yes. People don't really know that about me, but no. yeah, uh, and that was because my dad was an Eagle Scout, right? And so I was going to be one, really, whether I cared about starting fires, <laughs> which is really fun now. It's great to know this stuff, but uh, whether I was going to cut wood or or all that, uh, make a tent, you know, set up a tent, but um, scouts and sports were really my outlet. <clears throat> so I hid myself trying to find you know where I could where I could excel in these areas and I was enough of an athlete to uh to get through and play um in junior high and high school I got to go play college uh, I was a football player so that first 20 years was marked by some stress in that um after after the fact of the divorce I have this remarkable um in my dad's in my dad's death he drops dead when I'm 17 of a heart attack and uh and I was attached to a person then that that uh, became uh, an emotional, like this emotional attachment that was, was I mean, this person became everything for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and subsequently, at, at age 20, uh, everything kind of came apart. I blew a knee out. I was playing at DePaul University. Um, I like to say DePaul is one of the goodest universities in the country. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, anyway, I... Uh, <clears throat> Played football there for a couple of years and then blew my knee out. And in the course of that blowout, um, it was a great metaphor for really what happened with me um, with the relationship that by that time was four years uh, matured and uh, it came to an abrupt end as well. And uh, what I found out during my surgery on my knee was that I could actually write songs. Then that's a strange thing to discover. Um, you know, I liked trying to be the Beatles when I was little, but I didn't really know that I was a that I could actually compose, mm-hmm. and uh, so that was uh, <clears throat> that was the shift from yeah. this early twenty-year trying to figure out who the heck I was yeah. uh, into okay, now I see. I'm an yeah. artist. I'm a I'm a musician. I'm a I'm a, I'm a performer. I'm right. A, I'm a whatever. That was an odd sound. Was that my? Uh, no. That was Skype. Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay, Mr. Skype. But um, anyway, that's yeah. And I, you can go into brutal deta- details all along the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to make sure that we pick up. Your father was a, very active in civil rights. Right. That's and, right. And well, he exposed. You that's right. To My, that world. Uh, yeah. Um, six, let's say August of '63. This is three months before the president's assassinated. Before John Kennedy was assassinated, I get a call. My, we're just. A, I'm preparing for the sixth grade. My mother gets me all dressed up. Your dad called. You're putting. I'm putting you on a bus. Here's a quarter. Get on a bus. Can you imagine riding into Washington D.C. As a sixth grader, all by yourself, or a fifth grade, you know, um, 
good heavens, they would, nobody would ever think of doing that today. Yeah. But uh, then in that time period, it was different. So in August, it was really hot. My brother and I get on the bus. We ride into D.C., and then we get off the bus. Dad says, I'll meet you at Commerce. He picks us up, and the three of us head towards the memorial, Lincoln's Memorial. And, uh, of course, there's 100,000 people in, in down. And, and that was not uncommon, except that these were all black people. It was mm. a, a, a racially um, our... Our family was, although my dad was engaged in the civil rights legislation, he really was old school. Um, you know, we've got to be careful of integration. Mm-hmm. Um, we believe in, um, you know, uh, I'm sorry, he's, we're going to be careful in desegregating. Um, integration's got to happen in a natural process. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and um, he put us in private school, for instance. Mm-hmm. I went to Episcopalian boys' school while I was there. But... Uh, on the road over, uh, or on the walk over, excuse me, to the monument or to the memorial, it was clear that all these black folk were carrying signs and they were agitated, and there was a lot of activity going on all around us. So my summation was, they're all pissed off because there's no white statues for them. I mean, all excuse me, all the statues are of white people. Mm-hmm. There's no statues of any African American mm-hmm. or any black person. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the sixth grade's assessment. That was my sixth grader assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, got to sit in uh, right in front of the right in front of the uh, memorial. And uh, while Dr. King came out and gave the "I Have a Dream" speech, and nobody really knew what was happening. It wasn't as though, you know, you're supposed to figure that out. But uh, Dad was gracious in explaining to his boys, you know, this is something important. This is an important man. Um, you know, you're gonna hear a lot more about him as as you go. But I thought this was important for us to get to. So my dad did that kind of thing. We mm-hmm. got to, you know, see a lot of. Uh, got to have lunch with the president, uh, with John Kennedy, um, on the white at the White House. Uh, really, two weeks before the trip to Dallas, that was another remarkable moment. And uh, and then you know, we had to have, did have dinner out at uh, Hickory Hill and McLean with the uh, Bobby Kennedy's family. It was Bobby and Ethel Kennedy. Mm. And, uh, so I had I had this charmed kind of boyhood life, country club kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the same time, racial reconciliation and definitely uh, care for the poor. Um, you know, the work that Kennedy had done in, in the context of ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. That mindset, mm-hmm. the good boy scout, you mm-hmm. know, help other people at all times. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the mantra um, of my first 20 years. And, yeah. it, and it started to show up. Uh, that I, I, I call it providence. That's a biblical theological term, but providence really does play. Yeah. Where you grew up, what you experienced as a kid, yeah. all of that plays into why the heck you're in California and we're out here and you know, why you're sitting in the in that room listening to this, mm-hmm. why you're sitting in, in Cincinnati or you're in Des Moines. I yeah. mean, it, there's a reason why. Yeah. 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 So we move now to the second twenty years. Right. You're a Christian by now, right? right? I am. Yeah. And you find out <clears throat> that you can you can play music. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I just started playing songs and uh, writing songs, and I found, like all musicians, like uh, Aaron, uh, you find people that like to play uh, with you. And uh, one of my my high school friends was a gifted guitar player named Mike Albrecht. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to uh, several colleges that dropped out of DePaul. I went to a school called Spring Arbor University where I joined up with my brother Jeff and, and several other musicians. And um, played music and started to record, you know, like this in little rooms mm-hmm. where we were using old TAC 3340s and, you know, just getting our songs together and, you know, trying to make it. And uh, as a result, um, uh, from those early recordings, we, we ended up putting a band together, moving to Nashville. Mm-hmm. And the band was called Albrecht, Rolly, and more. Mm-hmm. And uh, we came here in 78 and, um, and then uh, still continued to record really through the 80s, um, and ended my, uh, really my musical career with Michael Card, um, mm. the, the contemporary Christian musician and songwriter. So Mike and I have been fast friends for almost 30 years, and yeah. uh, still still working together and still writing songs together. And So anyway, that career really was, I mean, I had some remarkable experiences. Um, AR&M opened for uh, this great, in fact, we started in California, this is Keith uh, Green, second chapter. Yeah. Uh, we were actually the Talbot Brothers band. A.R.N.M. Oh, backed up yeah, Terry yeah. and John. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah, that was our that was our gig. So from back in the day, five five voices, five part harmonies. It was like just so fun. And of course, John, 
can tear up a banjo and a guitar uh-huh, like uh-huh, nobody on uh-huh, earth. Uh-huh. He never gets to with the monk rock thing. He doesn't get a <laughs> he doesn't get a he doesn't get a chance to play like that. Although I think he did an electric guitar re- uh, record one time. But and then Terry, of course, was the great compliment. There's nothing yeah. like brothers brothers yeah. voices. Blood harmony. Yeah, they had that Mason Prophet was an early uh, Warner Brothers mm-hmm, band mm-hmm. and. So once that broke up, they were converted. We joined them, and so it was a great a great tour all of the summer of 77, mm-hmm. um, ending uh, in Mercer, Pennsylvania. But getting to know Keith Green was a great blessing, and um, it was fun. Uh, but that ended up uh, in the uh, early 90s. I began to study for you know the gospel ministry as a as a Presbyterian minister. So that's yeah. you know the shift was a calling from. Continu- continuing to travel with Mike uh, Card, and then, you know, letting that go and and taking a calling uh, into the ministry. Yeah. So uh, you settled here in Franklin, Tennessee. Right. You come on staff at Christ Community right, Church. Right. Actually, helped plant it. We. Uh, oh yeah. 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 And then and then just kind of came on staff as a youth guy. Yeah. Now, by the time I got here, your youth guy days were long behind right. you. But you were right. hitting up uh, Min- Franklin. Yeah. Right. To talk about kind of that vision for yeah, ministry. Mike, Mike, when Mike and I were traveling, a guy gave us a videotape back in the days. When you would, this is for those listeners that are young, Mondo. Uh, yeah, you put a ta- you would put something into a machine and oh. a tape would run. Yeah, it was really <laughs> what a concept, really wild. And um, now, you can how actually did the not, how the tape not stick to everything. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. <laughs> Mine did. Interestingly, <laughs> uh, uh, anyways, this guy gives us this, this videotape of uh, John Perkins from the Mendenhall oh, Ministry. Oh yeah, yeah, in, in Mendenhall, Mississippi. And uh, in fact, I'm headed uh, tomorrow over to uh, up to Indianapolis for the annual CCDA con- conference, which is the Christian Community Development Conference, mm-hmm. in which John and Wayne Gordon and all the great people at CCDA put on every year. But uh, this was my first introduction into community development like that. Um, I had always had a uh, concern for poor people, but not not like John Perkins. I mean, he talked about reconciliation like brothers who had never had any kind of connection as different as dominant minority. I mean, just all those kinds of bizarre economic denominational divides, all that stuff. He was talking about actually in Christ finding community and relationship. Um, and then he talked about relocation, meaning that as uh, as somebody who lived in Meadow Green, right here in nice Franklin, like Cottonwood, mm-hmm. those kinds of places, yeah, right? Sure, Lovely, yeah. right? White Haven. Where, where do you live? Yes. Oh, White Haven. That's <laughs> perfect. Yes. That's perfect. We build a gate around it. Yeah, right? yeah. And I'm not trying to be cynical. But uh, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of it leaks out. It okay. leaks out. I know. But uh, yeah, we work so hard to protect ourselves and to keep ourselves safe which really becomes the dominant motivation for everything we do mm-hmm. versus saying, no, my safety is actually in Christ. Yeah. And in Christ, I might have a very different life ahead of me, mm-hmm. but I've got to trust him for for that, not not protect myself, but l- allow Christ to protect me. And I'm not saying you throw out all of your caregiving or your, you know, your, you know, lock your doors, get your, you know, get the, uh, when people come through, it makes the alarm systems, yeah. build the, I don't, I'm not saying don't do that. It's just that, is that really what's going to keep you safe while you're asleep mm-hmm. eight hours every day? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you're kind of, you know, unconscious. So yeah. we're in God's hands anyway. Um, I make all that to say, or I say all that to say, Relocation meant that I would remove myself from this metal green place and move into a, a city um, and a neighborhood in a city that was very different. And the neighborhood I chose was called Hard Bargain. Really, Hard Bargain chose me. I didn't choose it. It chose me. The people there chose me because the neighborhood is a community of people. So uh, in the mid-1990s, we bought a house in uh, this low-income neighborhood um, in Franklin, in Williamson County, the oldest uh, dating back pre-Civil War and, and post-Civil War in terms of, in terms of its actual build-out, mm-hmm. but uh, had a mix, I have a mixed-race family, so it was a it was a natural place for us to sort of raise our children. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that uh, that move then into Franklin has has really been the the, the heartbeat and the center of my calling to care for the poor and for racial reconciliation as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm off on some bizarre track. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. No, no, no. Okay. Are we I, still I, on track? We yeah. are, absolutely. I mean, it's a big part of your life. And, yeah. and uh, I, I really felt as though you have functioned uh, to a large degree 
as the social conscience of Christ Well, yes. Ex- I mean, I, I don't say yes to that idea. That's a yeah. very complimentary idea. I, I think what I just realized was in moving into neighborhoods, what we discover are the true needs of the neighborhood instead of me bringing my kind of top-down assessment saying right, you need right. this, this, and this. Right. As a result of all of that, um, some cool reconciliation groups like Empty Hands Fellowship, which I could get into, or Sinago, meaning a Greek word meaning let's, you know, synthesize, uh, Tapestry, a woman's experience as, as she would find more uh, in relationship to women uh, that are different. Um, a medical clinic, yeah. uh, the Mercy Children's Clinic. Uh, we have a, a, an education, uh, maybe a flagship in education called New Hope Academy. It's an elementary school that's mixed race and remarkable in its diversity. Um, you know, housing projects, food projects. I mean, just all of the things that need to actually be done in a community. Those emerge properly, I think, through this relocation. Yeah. And then a word that man, one of my dear friends said, don't ever use this word again, redistribution. Mm-hmm. Because for all of the wealthy, they just turned us off. Mm-hmm. You know, they just turned off the podcast. Because it sounds like what I'm, I'm in favor of is taking all the money from people who've earned it and give it to people who are lazy. Mm-hmm. And that's not redistribution. Yeah. Um, as Perkins said, God's a great provider, but he's not a great distributor. And it, it's it's like, you know, he provides everything we need, but uh, it's really up to us to take the goods that, I mean, let's face it, with your good looks and that voice you have. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did you, let me ask you this, did you earn that or deserve that? No. No. In fact, no. you're the guy that taught me that what I deserve is death and hell. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So the reality is none of us have earned or deserved any of this. It's yeah. all by God's mercy. So yeah. that mercy flows out in what? Sharing. And, mm-hmm. and you know, if Jesus is your only possession, then then giving and sharing—that's what—that's what actually makes sense. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's that's the the way that 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 next twenty years, you know, kind of as a pastor and a community develop a developer. Yeah. Um, how that that sort of took over. Yeah. Uh, the artist in me and Scott. The, yeah. Can can you define before you move on from what you were just talking about? Sure. You know we the. Racial reconciliation sounds like two words that we all know what they mean. Yeah. But you actually spent time considering what that practically means. Sure. I'm I'm just picturing people listening, nodding their heads. Yeah. And yet, yeah, I know. I'm watching watching the the counter here, Nate. I know what time it is. Yeah. We got time to have Mm -hmm. racial reconciliation defined. That's great. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, Yeah, it it was something that even though I had... We had had maids in my life where there were people that served me as a young person at mm-hmm. the at the uh, poolside, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at, at Woodlawn Country Club uh, <laughs> in Northern Virginia, and you know, uh, I'd had that experience that 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 the that the movie or the book, The Help. I yeah. encourage everyone to see that, by the way. Yeah. Um, that was an experience I got. The idea that that I would relate and that I would actually have best friends that were very different than I was, whether they were Native Americans. They were Hispanic, if they were, you know, um, Asian, um, African Americans. I mean, whoever these groups were that I was isolated from, based on the way dominant culture works, which is you never have to engage anybody different than you. Mm-hmm. You can live your entire life in a dominant culture like the North American, whether it's Canada, U.S., wherever. If you if you don't ever move into and or intentionally meet someone who's different, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Whereas the minority culture have to always deal with the majority culture. They have to in order to survive. Mm-hmm. So that's not a two-way street. That's a one-way street. And unless I, certainly as a community development guy, was not willing to go in and get to know people, and I mean what their birthday is, what their wives' names are, how many children, how many grandchildren, where, where do they go to work, what, what, what football teams are they like, do we picnic together, do we go to our reunions together? I mean, do you know somebody mm-hmm. that's different? It, reconciliation was not just, I'm so sorry for chattel slavery, or mm-hmm. I'm so sorry for what we did. We served, by the way, Columbus Day was yesterday. <laughs> My good friend Charles Robinson said, <laughs> hey, happy Columbus. He's a Native American. He goes, happy Columbus Day. He says, let's go out and take something that's not ours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what did he call it? He said, yeah, you, you call that, I mean, in terms of history, it was sort of like, you know, anyway, he, he I won't make everybody mad, but. <laughs> yeah, unless I mean, unless I know my native brother and I've been with him on in his day-to-day life, in his experience, 
then I really don't know him. I, I can know about somebody, mm-hmm. but until I actually sit down with them and you cry with them and you talk with them and you suffer through their suffering and they suffer with you in your suffering. Um, I found that in, in Franklin, I could walk into any black pastor's office you know, anytime I want to, knock on the door, and they'd let me in, and then no mm-hmm. problem. But oh, yeah. they came up to Christ Community, which is a great big white church. Yeah. They, they wouldn't get through the front door. I mean, they wouldn't get past the yeah. the security guy. Yeah. I mean, they, what are you doing here? Why are you here? What's up with you? I'm here to see Scott Rowley. Uh, okay, why? I yeah. mean, it's literally, it becomes, uh, the doorways don't go both ways. Mm. That's what I'm trying to say. So when I say reconciliation, I'm talking about, especially in the South, it's primarily African and white, African-American and white, that that have got to come together. And this is still, our town is still, I, I call it, I mean, my mayor, our mayor I love, hates me for saying this, but it's still a Jim Crow town. It's a town with a subtle Southern racism that it really pervades everything. There's a racialization in our city. And again, every city has it. It's different groups. Um, it can be economic. It can be, you know, mm-hmm. elitism. It can also be um, the very strangest of political um, divisions. Yeah. Um, there's all sorts of things that we're talking about. But for me, it meant uh, finding brothers uh, among the African-American population in, in Franklin. And, and that, what that took was I had to go knock on doors and get to know people. And uh, I, my, best, my best case for that was a, a guy named Denny Denson, mm-hmm. the pastor of the First Missionary Baptist Church in Franklin. And he and I shared It's a great story sometime. I, you know, I haven't got time to tell it, but I, it's, it's a great story on how we connected because he was very skeptical of a white pastor coming in and trying to change things. Yeah. He didn't give me the time of day. And in the end, we became fast brothers where we spent every day together. You know, we were on the phone together talking, eating lunch. I mean, we ran a ministry together, spoke all over the world, met, met with President Bush twice, uh, Condi Rice. Uh, we had a, a remarkable time for 15 years, um, mm-hmm. every day for 15 years. And then he died of pancreatic cancer uh, two years ago. And yeah. uh, so I miss him every day. But that was reconciliation to me. And, um, you know, there'll be other men and, and, and people in my life uh, as a result. But there's just something about that kind of connection that, I mean, I feel it in here. Yeah. You know, you yeah. guys got it. Yeah. It's, and it's Christ yeah. that gives us that ability. Right. Yeah. So I'm not trying to say it's some human thing they got to go do. It, it, it is a human thing. But it's only because Jesus is human. It's because of the incarnation. He relocated from heaven to earth to yeah. come be with us, yeah. his enemies, yeah. perceived enemies or real enemies. In that case, it's real. Yeah. But I think we have a perception that people are enemies that aren't. And yes. all it takes is knocking on a door. Yeah. I remember, for me, I'm coming from a very different side. This, this subject is pretty, it's been a big part of my life, um, even in the fact that I have an African son. So I've thought a lot about what that's going to mean living in a predominantly white community and uh, a kid being raised by white uh, parents but my dad was a teacher in Watts just before the Watts riots and wow. so I always <clears> heard <throat> stories about him taking kids out camping and out of the city and so when I graduated from high school I moved and ended up moving to an inner city area to experience being a minority and I, I was living with two uh, African-American men. And then I went to the Promise Keepers, and Jack Hayford gave a reconcil- racial reconciliation talk at that Promise Keepers at the L.A. Coliseum, 78,000 men, and just pissed me off because he was basically saying to my young ears, white people, you're just wrong. And so let's all apologize to somebody of any other race here today. And so at the end of the talk, he wanted us to all hug somebody of a different race. And I remember sitting there and crossing my arms and saying, I'm not going to do this. This was in the middle of affirmative action being taken away. So at the school I was at, there were a lot of petitions, a lot of anger. But my father had lost a position because he was white because of affirmative action. So I was on the other side going, wait a minute, there's two sides to this. Uh, okay, you're talking about one kind of injustice, and what about this? And, and I didn't like being told that I must be racist because I'm white, because I'm sitting here living in an uh, inner-city apartment with two black men, and, and I was just so full of anger at the double standards that were being, being put out. And living in L.A. so close to the... Uh, post-Rodney King riots, race was just on the table all the time. And I was a smart, little idealistic dude that was full of idealistic anger. So I sat there in the L.A. Coliseum with my arms crossed while everybody else hugged. 
and I glared at anybody who looked like they were coming my way to hug me because I wasn't going to apologize for slavery because I wasn't born yet and I don't even think my people were around or rich enough to have had slaves. And God very gently said, yeah, you're not, you're not going to... You're not going to get up, are you? I said, no. I, you know what? I am so willing to love people, but I'm not going to take responsibility for something I had nothing to do with. And he said, yeah, I get that. You're pretty lucky I didn't think like that, aren't you? <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. That's good. And that was <clears throat> the the moment in my life when my heart changed and broke because sitting, not being in the place you were at, uh, you know, thinking about the providential way you were raised to see social issues a certain way. I, I was raised wanting to experience it, but still seeing it in a very different way. And it wasn't until Jesus said, you know what the gospel is? The gospel is me taking full responsibility for something I had nothing to do with. That's right. That is my love. That's great. So you want to sit there with your arms crossed, knock yourself out, but I have nothing to do with that. Yeah. Wow. 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 Well, now I know the other reason I came here this morning. <laughs> that was terrific, Aaron, and that's true. Uh, I, I think we 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 lose sight of all of that, and uh, you know, now I'm 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 wiser. I, I just yeah. get it better, and I'm still on journey. But yeah, and great. you're on this journey of wonder. Yeah, that's good. And uh, yeah, you're uh, looking around the corner, seeing what's next. Right. Yeah, uh, you know how it says all that wander are not lost. I think that was from Tolkien. Yeah, all yeah, that yeah. wander are not lost. I think all that wonder <laughs> are not what lazy or stupid. <laughs> or <laughs> no, I, I sense uh, that you're asking the right questions mm. right now. Yeah. Where does God want me? Yeah. You're not you're not chasing provision. Yeah, uh, you're listening for. Uh, yeah. Well, I think uh, I, I meet with uh, Nate every week. Uh, we get to an hour together. Because I want uh, I want the wisdom of someone who, um, I, you know, I, I haven't walked in his shoes exactly, but I've walked more in his shoes than I have in others' shoes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, learning to walk on my own, uh, asking good questions and finding that peace and wonder is, is a really a great part of this. Yeah. Well, it has been a great visit. Uh, and uh, you brought us some music. Going to play a little bit of uh, yeah, okay. great. Play a bit of it. And how uh, for those who who want some more Scott Rowley, give yeah. me some more Scott Rowley. Where are they going to find you? Yeah, scottrowley.com is a website that has all of my music on it, <clears throat> my history and story, and it talks about the ra- racial stuff as well as the, books? the economic stuff. Got two books uh, for sale there. One called God's Neighborhood, that the good people at University Press published for me. <laughs> and then um, Safe House Books produced uh, or published the second book called Hard Bargain. So God's Neighborhood and Hard Bargain, you can purchase those there or at Amazon. And um, anyway, it's, uh, it's fun to, it's fun to uh, talk with you guys, and I'm very humbled to be here. Uh, it's yeah. been a great visit. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, folks. Uh, look Do forward we want letters? Do we want letters? Don't sign off yet. Oh, we want letters. Yes, send us some letters for Pete's sake. For Pete's sake or Nate's, either one, but we want letters. <laughs> yes. And where should they send them, Eric? Oh, man, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, it's the wrong Mondo, Just, just Mondo's put them in the mail. Yeah. Yeah. Just put yeah, them just in put the mail. The mail. Yeah. <laughs> hey, where, is the, where is the mail? Yeah. <laughs> Put them in the mail quick before the post office goes out of business. Samson Podcast at gmail.com. Please send us your comments, questions, suggestions, <laughs> threats, anything you need to send. And, um, yeah, we had some requests. We're going to keep playing anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, until next week, it's Nate, Mondo, Aaron uh, saying thanks to our good friend Scott Rowley. Goodbye to all of you from the Pirate Monk Podcast. Knowing in my weakness you will be made strong. Through my simple serving spirit of gladness. Help me, Jesus, stand against the wrong.
Spending time with you, Lord, is the only way love works. I can see the old men who are drowning in their bonds. And I can feel the heartache of the lonely and the troubled. And I can see the children being murdered in their Oh, so-